Welcome to That Foreign Feeling, a podcast that creates space for conversations surrounding mental health, grief, and loss. When you may not know what you are feeling exactly, but you know something is different. You may not be able to explain it or understand it. All of these feelings are what we call That Foreign Feeling. All right. Today, I'm so excited. We have Christy Wopat. Is that, did I say it right? Wopat? Yeah. The teacher, a mother, grief survivor, speaker, just so much more. Thank you for being here with me today. Of course. I'm so excited to chat about your grief journey and get to know a little bit more about you and that foreign feeling that's played a part in your life. But before we get into all of that, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, well, my name is Christy, like you said, Wopat. And yes, my husband is second cousins to Tom Wopat, who was in the Dukes of Hazard. It's a very Ooh. big deal if you live in Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> and I um, teach fourth grade in the Holman School District. I absolutely love it. I have two living children. My daughter, Avery, is 12, and my son, Evan, just turned 10. Um, And I live here with my husband, who is a high school French teacher. So everybody's at school here in this house. Um, I accidentally got a cat once, and now I have three cats. (laughs) Like, the next two, I kind of got on purpose. Um. And I love everything about this community and um, just like the support that people give to each other. And so um, I've written books. I, I'm a writer um, and I go speak places about things, but mostly I just really, um, I try to just like lift people up and help people know they're not alone and that's why I'm here. That's why I love doing podcasts and interviews and speaking events, just so that um, people usually don't get stuck in where I felt like I was stuck after my twins died. Right. Well, I'm so thankful that you do do that. I know a little bit about grief journeys just from having two early losses and stuff, and it is really hard. And um, actually, how we got to know you and then actually I've read gone through two of almost a mother and always ours but somebody on Facebook said that recommended you and said you know you change things for them I believe her name was Amy I don't know her and stuff but so you're doing it it's working it's awesome it's great so you wear a lot of hats you write articles Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, speaker, author, you're on the committee for Wisconsin Writers Association. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Angel Mama. Which hat's your favorite? Oh, you know, I, I thought I read that question and I thought about it. And I think I think this is my favorite thing right here. OK, like I love I love being a mom and um there's so many things that I love about my teaching job and I love going to speak places and I love writing, but truly I love like sitting down with another human being and just sharing the hard stuff so that, you know, you're constantly reminded that you're not the only one going through this and that what's hard sometimes will eventually get easier. You know, I really, I love just like connecting with other humans, whether they're kids or adults, whether it's about grief or not, like that's my favorite hat, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, with that being said, and all the hats you wear, connecting with people is your favorite. Do all of the things that you do fill your cup? Or which ones help you process your mental health and serve you? Or, I mean, I guess a lot of things in life can kind of do both. Yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes, sometimes I let it, um, 
sometimes I let all the things I do overwhelm me. And that is not filling my cup, right? Um, And to protect my mental health, there are times and there have been times when I have had to say like, I need a break from this. I'm not doing podcast interviews or Mm -hmm. um, speaking engagements for the moment. Um, Sometimes that just kind of like depletes me. And the, the first book I wrote when I was kind of like on a book tour for that one, um, I, I thought it would really fill me up, but at the time it really drained me. Um, so by the time I was done speaking at all these different libraries and bookstores, um, I really felt like, okay, I've given so much of myself that I have to take a step back. Um, and it's kind of the same with school. Like I love being a teacher, but sometimes like the politics and the, like all the icky stuff of public education sort of drains me. Um, but always what fills me up is the little, like the, the times that someone like just the other day I was at the local grocery store and a woman said, hi, Christy. And I was like, hi. And I didn't know her. And her daughters were with her and she said, mom, who is that? And she said, it's an author that I know. And she saved my life. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh. Like you don't often get to hear that stuff said to your face. And that is like enough to fill my cup for a really long time. You know, like it's a, it's enough. Like if, if it was even just that one person, it's enough. And when I'm at, when I'm at school and and dealing, you know, with kids, I'm so honest with them. And I just want them to like grow up knowing that they had a teacher once who was honest about that life is hard and that mental health is important. And that, um, you are, you might go through really tough things, but look at me every day, I'm coming to work anyway, and I'm putting on a smile, so I don't really know if that answered the question, but sometimes it's real. it really fills my cup and sometimes it depletes it. And I just have to know myself well enough to know when to stop or like right. change hats or, you know, oftentimes what really fills me up then is to stop and focus on my family and remember like they're that. my most important thing. Definitely. Definitely. I feel that. And I'm glad you came on the podcast and this worked out being during like a good time for you. (laughs) Podcasting is new for me. So like, and I don't think I've hosted one by myself yet. So I was actually a little bit nervous and stuff. (laughs) But then you emailed back and wrote, I use a lot of exclamation points. I (laughs) I do that too. And I've said that to people and then been like, "Mm, maybe that's weird. I'm like, I don't know. But like, I let my (laughs) inner thoughts like filter in and stuff. So I was like, I have to go back and like change exclamation points to periods just so I'm like, so they don't think I'm like totally whatever. Right, right. No, that's totally I get it. I love it. And I was like, yes, like this is going to be good. (laughs) All right, everyone. We're so grateful and excited to be able to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. I'd been going through a season where I knew I needed to get back into therapy and had to seek out a new therapist. I've only ever gone to in-person therapy, but as it turned out, no one was taking new clients and waiting lists weren't being offered. BetterHelp was recommended to me by my sister, and I was very hesitant to try out an online therapy service. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. I took what felt like a leap of faith, and it was one of the best leaps I've ever taken. I was matched quickly based on my preferences and the accessibility, the professionalism, the options, all exceeded my expectations. It's so convenient. You can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, live chat, phone, or video call. There are days where I can't do live video because my girls are up and starting their homeschool day. So instead of rescheduling my much needed session or putting off school, I just opt for a live chat. I can see what my therapist is typing and get more in versus waiting blindly for the next message. I absolutely love it. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. 
To get you started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions or chats when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. BetterHelp is going to help those of you who may be stuck in a situation like mine. Ready for therapy, but no luck finding someone or someone soon enough. A big thank you to our sponsor who's letting you get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp by going to betterhelp.com backslash that foreign feeling. That's betterhelp.com slash that foreign feeling. I can chill out and stuff. Yes, but absolutely. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your grief journey? Your books have to do with losing your twins. And why don't you just start us off there? Okay. Um, in 2009, um, I delivered twin babies, a boy and a girl. Um, my daughter's name was Sophie and my son's name was Aiden. And uh, that was after like a two year sort of like fertility struggle. Um, and they were born and died in April and the prior November, my father-in-law had, um, died from lung cancer. And so I was really thrown in to grief that I had, had never even like, I could, I don't even think I had ever even conceptualized what grief was really like. Mm-hmm. So when my father-in-law died, it was really sad, um, obviously, but like, I think two weeks after he died, I found out I was finally pregnant. And so I was very like distracted from my grief by the fact that I was finally pregnant. And then we found out that it was twins and we were like over the moon and like planning, um, all, all this whole life was going to be so different with twins. Um, And then like the way that the way that it happened, I didn't really know. I didn't really know what had gone wrong. Like one day I just rolled over in bed and my water broke and I was not pregnant enough for my water to break. And it only broke on one baby. So then like I was in the hospital for a few weeks on bed rest and um, like that in itself I was grieving because I knew that even, even if they lived, like they were so pre, like it was, I was only 24 weeks. So right. I knew there would be like health struggles right. or I challenges. Yep. And, uh, I think what, like the, so many memories stick with me, but I remember, um, after I delivered the babies went to the NICU and about, I don't know, eight, nine hours later, my daughter died. She was the one whose water had broken. So she had a really bad infection. Um, and I remember thinking like, it's okay. Like I still have my son. I still have my son. And then by noon the next day he had died and they wanted me to stay in the hospital, but I was in the labor and delivery ward. So I could hear right. babies crying. I could hear every time they rang the bell that a baby was born. Oh. And I just, I remember walking. Well, I didn't walk. I guess I was in a wheelchair, but I remember leaving the hospital thinking, how is this happening? Like, I don't, I I couldn't. I couldn't even really truly grasp what was going on. And um, I I don't even know if I, if I had ever given, like, I don't, I hadn't given it a thought that, that they would both die. And so I left there and I thought, okay, like now what? 
And I went home and I just remember like getting in the bathtub um, because I had just delivered, you know, so I was a, a hot mess, like physically and hormonally too. And I just remember like, like screaming like this, like from deep down, like I sounded like a demon or something. And I just was screaming And that was the moment when I was like, okay, I know my life is going to be different forever because I can't imagine surviving something that hurts this bad. And that's sort of like when I remember like that pivotal moment when I I was alone in this bathtub screaming, not understanding what had happened really and thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And and that's really where it started for me. And um, after that, you know, it was really tough. I had I had never been depressed before. Um, I had never been so angry in all my life. Um, I didn't know how to be around my husband. I didn't know. Uh, I I didn't know what to do. And I am a very type A person. You know, I'm a fourth grade teacher. Everything is organized and color coordinated. And my life is put together. And I couldn't do any of it. I couldn't plan ahead. And I, I, I really struggled with the feeling of what if it's, what if it's like this forever? And so I remember like going to the library and, and checking out every book about infant loss. And there weren't really any, there was one from like 1974 and it was like written by a psychologist and every page of it made me angry. Yeah. I didn't Um, even realize to even look for books right away. Like you're just in a fog or like there was songs that had to do with infant, like no one has said anything to me. No, like. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, uh-huh. but so, you know, it was, it was a really, and it has been a really long journey. It's not, I like, I don't consider it over, you know, like I think for the rest of my life, right? this is just like a part, a part of who I am. Right. Like it's, I find it, do you find it hard to say, use the word heal, like healing or like heal yeah. because it just feels like this is just like a a piece of me that's just not here. Yes. Yes. And everyone expects for you to sort of like check this box, like grief done. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't know. I don't know that it's ever done. Like my mom had a stillborn baby in the seventies and she didn't, she never talked about it when I was growing up. I, I really had no idea until my own babies died. And then we talked about it for the first time. Um, but she like every, it's every year, April 2nd, you know, I call her and say, I'm thinking of Mary today. And she's so sad. Like it, you don't, nothing is going to make it go away or make it like it didn't happen. And I know like when I had my, so my kids are, they were born after my twins died. So when Avery, my oldest was born, everybody thought, oh, thank God she'll be fine now. You know, like they were so tired of me being sad and they're like, oh, thank God Christy can stop talking about this. But I totally did not stop talking about it. <laughs> right. So you know, 13 years later and I'm still talking about it. Right. I always feel like I can't have like celebrate. Well, we'll have like angel food cake on like their angel versaries. Yeah. But like as far as like physically, like I can't buy them a gift. I can't take them school shopping and stuff. Um, So instead talking about it, making other people feel like they're normal, which is a big thing of why you do what you do. Like I know in an article you mentioned um, that you just wanted people to feel normal and like the feelings that they had that like being mean and angry, like these thoughts that are not good, mm-hmm. that's normal. Absolutely. Like you're not a bad person. No. And because that was my biggest fear. Like I found myself having these thoughts that I was so ashamed of. And I thought, oh my gosh, like 
what if I'm going crazy? What what if those Lifetime movies where like the murderer is always like a mom whose like kid has died and she goes crazy and kills people? It's in like every Lifetime movie. Like, what if it's true? What if I'm going nuts? What if this anger never leaves me? Right. And I was so so scared. Um, and I don't want anyone ever to feel that way. Like, I want them to know that uh it is going to be not even like a roller coaster because I don't even think it's like up down. It's more like like big giant squiggles. Like grief is just kind of all over the place. You go like and, back and forth sometimes. Like yeah. yes, and that you have to put in the work, but it's it's not gonna always be this heavy. Right. Like I promise it's not gonna always be this heavy. And eventually the anger will fade and eventually the jealousy will fade and it takes each person. I think you're going to, they'll have to go about it differently. Um, and everybody's story is different. Like I do realize how lucky I am to have gone on to have living children because mm-hmm. some people have to grieve an entire next thing of like not being able to have children after that. So you know, everybody's story is different. I just, I really wanted like the raw truth about grief to be out there because everything I found was like, like even in the hospital to like signify that our babies had died, they put like a little picture of a leaf with a dew drop on it. And I'm like, okay, nothing is dew droppy about this. Nothing is peaceful. Nothing is like, poetry right now everything is like rage this is like 90s like rage music it's not peaceful and I was getting upset about that because then I think what what are people to think if they don't feel peaceful then they think okay there's something the matter with me there's something the matter with me that I'm not like you know writing poetry and listening to music and looking at candles and I'm mad like it's okay if you're mad it's normal Right. So you wrote um, another book. Okay, you have Almost a Mother. That was your first? Yep, that's a memoir about yep. um, the twins. And then Always Ours, which is a kid's book. Yes. And there's a quote I love. Did you did you find a, a quote? That- um, I, wrote, I wrote one little one down. Oh, so we'll save that. Okay. okay. Since you have one, then we're talking about always ours. Yeah. This is the part, like, I read it and I was like, that's so beautiful. I love it so much. Where it goes, in school, May said, we watched a caterpillar grow and change all the way to this beautiful butterfly. My teacher taught me how butterflies have to be so strong because they're always changing. We learned that butterflies live their lives not by days, but by moments. And that made me think of my baby brother, James. He is as strong as a butterfly. And he'll always be ours. I thought that was awesome. It was so good. I loved reading that to my kids. And what a beautiful, like, connection there. Thank you. I Always Ours might be my favorite book just because um, so many people, so many people who have infant loss feel like they cannot talk about their babies because it makes people uncomfortable. And I wrote always ours for families so that they would have a positive and like uplifting way to show that like, you're not morbid. You're not weird. If you want to remember your family members who aren't here anymore, just like you might say like, Hey, it's grandpa Joe's birthday. Let's go play horseshoes. I never connected that before with like, like a grandpa or like somebody else, but you're right. Like it is totally different for it is. But when I would say like, you know, today's I'm Sophie Naden's birthday or whatever, people it makes them so uncomfortable because it's it's the unknown they're scared they don't know what to say they don't know what to do and I just never like for families that don't want to talk about it that's okay too like I want that to be clear Mm -hmm. um but from what I found I found it so freeing to like like you I think you said earlier like you don't get to take them school shopping. Like I don't get to parent Sophie and Aiden the way I want to, 
So how I can parent them is to keep their memory alive in these tiny little ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think in some ways I'm lucky because I have urns with their ashes. Like I have physical things that touched them because they were alive for a while. Um, but like I wrote always ours for people for that exact reason. So that it's like, here is our permission as a, as a family to remember this baby and not have it be some like taboo, weird, morbid thing just to bring up their name. Right. And for kids, if they grow up like getting, knowing they have siblings, that's their normal. Like that's my girl's normal. Like they will talk about them all the time. And that for me as an angel mom is the best. Completely. And I, I don't ever like, I'm, my Avery and Evan, my kids, they, they know, like, they'll say like, oh, mom, look, Sophie and Aiden, or if they see a butterfly or, um, and nothing about it is weird to them. Nothing about it is sad or depressing to them. It's literally like, they're a part of our family who just didn't get to be here anymore. Right. And so I love that. And I know some people would judge me for that. I know some people would say like, oh my gosh, you're going to ruin your kids if you talk about them and make them blah, blah, blah. I don't really care anymore. Like I, you can judge me all you want, but this is like, this is what brings me peace. Right. So. Agreed. And everyone processes it in their own way. So not everybody has to do that, but like everybody has the choice. Yep. And stuff. And then your last book is After All, Pregnancy After Your your Baby Dies. And earlier you said that you had conceived your twins after like infertility. Do you see like a connection between like that kind of waiting and then now the intense waiting where like you had already experienced, it's just the wait has to, it does seem longer. Yeah. Um, we just like, you know, we tried for like a year before we went to the doctor and the doctor, like I got diagnosed with PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. A lot of women suffer from this and it's not very well understood. Um, and a lot of people suffer losses, especially early losses because of PCOS, because it messes with your hormones. So I remember like I went to see a doctor after probably a year and then they made us try a few different things. So it was probably like another year. And then this lady, this one doctor one day was like, oh, here, here are these pills you should take to make you ovulate. And she told me like really nothing else about them. And I was like, okay. Turns out there's like a huge like increased risk of multiples right um so I had no idea like it was just it was it was awful but like the first month I took those pills we got pregnant with Sophie and Aiden um and like one of the most messed up things that I thought made me so messed up I should say that was not messed up was I had just finished delivering Sophie and Aiden. Like I literally haven't even, hadn't even delivered both placentas. And all I could think about was getting pregnant again. Like, like I was still in the hospital and my brain was like, okay, so I'm going to have to go back. I'm going to have to get another prescription. I'm going to like, all I wanted to do was be pregnant again. Other women I've talked to were like, all I wanted to do was never be pregnant again. <laughs> and like, it's, it's so different, but right. I just felt like, oh, I was so close. Like, like I had it right there and I was so close. And then we asked the doctor how long we should wait. And he said, you should wait at least six months. And he said, not for your body, but for your mental health. And I, that those six months were, I mean, I was, grieving. Uh, My milk was coming in. I was bleeding. Like uh, those were the longest six months. It doesn't end when you're at the hospital. Yes. It's what like people don't see because you know, it's all happening to your body. Exactly. Yep. So yeah, it, I think it just made it feel, I don't know. Sometimes people say to me like, 
but it was worth it, all the work you put in, right? And I'm like, I mean, what do you want me to say to that? Like, no, it wasn't worth it. But at the same time, like you get so resentful that it was so much work for you. That part, that part of it was hard. I don't talk about that part of it a lot because I know that most people's fertility journey is much more difficult. So like for, like, I always, like I say, like I was the most fertile of infertile because all I did was take a pill and it worked. Right. Right. So I, I don't know that I have like as much to say. I just know that the waiting was excruciating. Yeah. Definitely. I can't imagine even a year, like a year, like, yeah. like you did. I mean, for us, it was months when we did have, but that's again, nothing. So I can't imagine. I, I know it's like everybody goes through all of this differently, but in the end you end up in the same place, which is you have experienced a loss. Right. Even, even if you haven't gotten pregnant yet, you're grieving the loss of what you can't have still. Exactly. Exactly. What was after your book after all, Pregnancy After Your Baby Dies? I haven't read that one yet. So what was waiting like then once you were pregnant up until you had your kid? It was it was horrible. I I wrote that book. I wasn't going to, but people kept asking me to write it. And, you know, I, I touched on it a little bit in Almost a Mother. So I was like, do I really, should I? And then I did. And it's it's like a mini memoir. It's not especially long. But um, once, all I wanted to do was get pregnant again. And then literally the second I saw that pregnancy test that said pregnant, I was like, what did I just do? Like, why did I do this? This is not okay. Because every minute I was like, okay, what am I doing wrong? You know, I didn't know why Sophie and Aiden were born early. Like they couldn't give me an answer. So I kept wondering, like, is the same exact thing going to happen again? Um, Like I was so anxious, so nervous. Um, people were so not on purpose, but they were so awful in the way, like, like, oh, only one this time. Okay. Why, why, why would you say it like that? Why would you ask me that? And a lot of people really thought like, see, people would say like, see, we told you it'd be fine. Okay. You don't know that. Less is more people. Yeah. Like I... I couldn't sleep. I had nightmares. I was still pretty thick into like the PTSD having like, a, like every night I would lay down and I was in bed when my water broke. So every night when I would lay down, my brain would go to the popping sound of my water breaking. And then I'd have to think of every single thing that happened until they died. And if I didn't go through every event, I couldn't sleep. And so that was like the first thing I worked on in grief counseling was like, I need a strategy to stop that because I I can't torture myself going through all of those memories. So I tried like, I remember I tried hypnosis. Like I listened, I'm not making fun of people who believe in that. I don't really know what I think, but I was like, sure, I'll try it. And it was called like baby stay in. And so I would like put my... Um, headphones on and lay in bed and it would be like baby stay in your cervix is long and strong or whatever and I'm like what I don't even I don't I was I would have done anything like thrown banana peels over my shoulder or whatever those were the I mean besides the grief of losing the twins that fear was so horrible. And I wanted, I wanted more than two children. But after those two subsequent pregnancies, I decided like for my mental health and my family's well-being, I cannot be pregnant again because it was, I was neurotic. (laughs) Like I just, I could, even after Avery was born at full term, I thought, 
okay, but how do I know which one was the fluke? Right. Like, and I'm kind of a worrier by nature anyway. So I don't think that helped things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, how do I know that it was, it wasn't Avery's pregnancy. That was the fluke. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just, that's why I wrote the pregnancy after a loss book, because I think people really suffer um, even after an early loss, like no matter when it was, um, there's this fear of it happening again. And there is a lot of PTSD with memories. Um, a lot of us have really bad experiences in healthcare with physicians. Um, in general, I don't think women are treated very well at all. Um, absolutely. And if you've never been through it before and you don't know what you're doing, you don't have the capabilities to advocate for yourself. Right. Like people will call me that I don't even know. And they'll say, okay, I got your, your, or they'll email or whatever. I got your name from a friend of a friend. My, my cousin just had a baby who was stillborn. What do we need to do? And I just have like a list of things that I send, like, be sure you do this, 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 and this ask about this. Because I had no idea. And everything they offered to me, I was like, no, thank you. Because I was mad. I didn't want to hear what anyone had to say. So they were like, we can take these beautiful, tasteful pictures. No, get away from me, is what I said. And I regret that so much. Like, because I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm like collecting my thoughts because so much of your story, like, I commend you for looking out for you and your family and it's not easy to say I don't want to have any more because mental health wise because I did that I always got really bad postpartum and like would get like delayed with my earth earth why can't I think of the words now I'm like staring (laughs) at them and I'm like just saying earth <laughs> side kids, whatever the kids are that are here, yeah. and like seven to eight months into it, I'd be in a psych ward. And then after our last loss, which was after my second kid, um, that's here on earth, I was like, I can't do it. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm gonna miss out on them growing up, and they're like so little right now. Like, and so when I went in for my DNC, they tied my tubes too, but. Yep kind of like you're talking about earlier, like you wanted pregnancy so bad and then it came and you're like, what am I doing? In my case, took it off the table every month since, and it's been like years now. I hope that like, if I think I'm late, I'm like, ooh, absolutely. Absolutely, I'm convinced. Well, I, I had a hysterectomy this summer. So now I think I have finally understood, (laughs) but up until then, and I had my tubes tied when my son was born and up until then, I was still convinced I would be that like half of 1% that could manage to get pregnant when their tubes tied, which is hilarious because I couldn't get pregnant without my tubes tied. (laughs) But like I was, you, I don't know. It's a, it's like a mental block where you're like, well, but if it happened accidentally, then I, it wouldn't really be my fault. So I couldn't feel guilty about it. And then, oh, it's like, it's ridiculous. Right, right. And I keep thinking like, I'm like, all right, well, it happened. That's not in the cards. And then the next month comes and here we are and it should be here and it's not. And I'm like, well, maybe I got lucky. <laughs> and that didn't happen. Oh, but man. Life is good no. still. And stuff, you got to just go with what you got. And yeah make of it what you can and um so you had said you didn't know or like experience depression until you experienced the loss of your twins was that the first time you saw any mental health come up for you or do you remember that first time where when we always call it that foreign feeling like you don't know what it is yeah but then later you look back and you're like, ooh, I was mega anxious or so depressed. Com- completely. So I grew up um, with like a verbally and emotionally abusive father. And I was constantly anxious, but I had no idea, right? 
Like I, looking back, I'm like, holy cow, why did no one help me? Like, I can remember like before my music program at school, I would like throw up in the bushes because I was so nervous. Um, I, I had no idea. And what I, I was in college when my parents got divorced. Um, and then, you know, I got married and things were really great, but then there was like infertility. So like, it was very up and down. Um, but I like remember thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of bed. <laughs> like, I really don't know if I, I don't, why, why should I get out of bed? And that, that exact moment, um, I, I panicked because I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't recognize feeling this bad. And I also didn't know how physical grief would be and how physical mental illness can be like, like my stomach, my head, everything. I was, I was just ill and I, um, did not expect that. And then I, then I started to think back to like life growing up and I'm like, I have never been calm. I've never been relaxed. And then I went to, then I went to grief counseling and could hardly even talk about my grief because I was like, oh, and also like my dad was abusive, my sister and I don't get along. And I was like, dude, I have so many issues that have never been resolved. And I, I think it took me, I don't like the whole like rock bottom cliche or whatever, but like, it took me to think that I don't really think there's a reason for me to get out of bed to realize, okay, this is serious. Right. And you need to do something about that. And I remember like the thing I told myself was no matter what you do, get up and take a shower every day. I just like, I forced myself, I had a notebook and I like wrote in the dates and I would put a big X through it if I could manage to take a shower. Mm -hmm. And I, that was, I just think like this pivotal moment for me because I kind of realized, okay, like my mental health has never really been great. Uh, but right now it is an emergency. Right. Do you ever go the opposite way? So that was your normal then, it never being great. So now like when you're doing good, but then kind of are struggling a little bit, but in your head, like I'm not laying in bed all day like before, so I must be fine. I get caught in that. Absolutely. I think to myself, like, it really can't be that bad because right. I'm getting up and I'm going to work every day, you know, but the truth is like, you know, I, I don't even think I know what it feels like to feel good. So it's like one of those things where you kind of just live with what you've, what you've known. Mm -hmm. I'm like sitting here trying to think of like, what, what, what is the answer? Like I wake up before my kids do and I try to read and get stuff done. By the time they're up, I'm mentally exhausted. I'm like, dang it. Now I feel like I need a nap and they're getting up. Yep. And each day I try to fix it. But when I sit, I'm always like, well, what's the right thing to do first? This, that, the other thing. Like that's my normal. It's not relaxing. And it's not that the things I'm doing aren't relaxing. But then I just get in like, well, I'm still going through the motions of every day. So I must be doing good because I don't feel like checking myself in anywhere like I did years ago or like, but I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. What is normal? Then maybe there's not a normal because if it's not this, I know, maybe it's something else. Yep. I don't know. Like I, this is just like a personal thing for me, but I don't drink alcohol ever. Like I don't drink alcohol or use any kind of like even like whatever and people always ask me because people are so in your business like why don't you drink whatever right and my answer is I truthfully am afraid to feel good because I am afraid that that is what I would spend forever chasing <laughs> because I don't know what that like high feels like and I think it's better for me that way because I'm like what it would probably be where suddenly I would be the one who like gets addicted or whatever. Like I have to be so careful because 
you know, is well, no matter what I do, it's something. Right. If that be- becomes like your replacement for like when you want to feel good, then that's what. But that's what. So actually, I've been. I've had one drink, I think, this January and just do it like socially. But even then, I know for my mental health, I'm like, oh, I just feel like tired the next day. And then I feel like I get into like a little bit of depression and whatever. Like, it's just not good. But everybody does talk about it. If you go out and you don't have something in your hand, well, why don't you have something? So then I started getting soda pop, but then I down it and I'm like, well, now I look like a lush because I got soda pop and big kid cup on purpose and I drank it in like two seconds. But I, in my head, I'm like, I want to feel good without, like, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm so stressed out. I need that because Mm -hmm. that's not going to fix it. It's going to numb it and stuff. So, I mean, if you're used to it, like I'm, I can do it. It's still hard. You get asked so much. People are in your business a lot. Really in your business. Like, really why don't you have it? Well, why do you care? You don't feel it. Like, yeah, I know. And stuff. So, but what are some of the best mental tips you have then? Whether that's from grief counseling or preventative or just in general as you're going through your normal <laughs> day. So, um, I like wrote myself a list for this one. So things that help me personally as like preventative is when I know that I start to sort of like spiral down, I know things that make it worse. Like I start to detox from my phone, right? Like I stop doom scrolling social media. I read a book instead of watch TV. Um, I'll listen to a podcast um, while I walk, like I detox from stuff that I know usually kind of affects me because part of being a writer is being on social media. And then sometimes I get in a bad place with it. Cause it's like, you compare yourself to everybody. I mean, everybody knows. Um, another thing that I do is, um, I, I write and like, I am writing books. Like I just got a literary agent. Like there's that kind of writing, but like, I also just journal and I write down every feeling I have, whether I think it's stupid or not, whether I think it's important or not, I write it down. I just, this is what happened to me today. And I'm like, I totally don't filter myself. So like when you're talking to somebody about it, you have to filter what you say because you can't just be whatever. But I'll be like, guess what this jerk at work did? Blah, 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 blah. And I just write like what's actually in my head. And that helps me a lot. Um, I uh, Caffeine is a bad thing for me. I drink a lot of caffeine. And when I and I shouldn't because it amps up my anxiety. Um. And then like the one thing, the one tip that I learned in grief counseling that I think is my favorite tip to share is earlier I talked about that where I would have like those, that like spiral of thoughts and I couldn't get the negative like memories out of my head. So my therapist had me imagine a spot where I felt safe. So for me, I pictured my grandmother's house. And I, there was like a a specific night, like it was New Year's Eve and we were watching the sound of music and like my grandma was like my safe place because, you know, my dad was very up and down. I didn't like, sometimes it wasn't really safe to be in my house and she lived right next door. So I spent the night there a lot. Um, and so like, she went through this exercise with me, like, describe what it felt like, describe what you saw, what you heard. And it's not like I have that much of a memory, but I can like conjure it. And so she's like, the second you get to one of those bad memories, you stop and you picture yourself in your grandma's house where you felt safe or wherever it is that you feel safe. So sometimes I lead um, like grief retreats and that's one of the exercises I do. Like I walk people through it. 
and it, it's so effective. Like you can take yourself right out of that memory and put yourself someplace different. Mm-hmm. And like, sometimes then I would let myself like, like in my mind, wander through my grandma's house. Like what would, what did the couch look like? You know, she died when I was 19. So I was like a million years ago at this point. So I try to like, remember, um, and I, I love that strategy. She also taught me like another thing to do would be to take the bad memory and envision in your mind that you're like putting it in a chest and you're locking the chest and you're wrapping the chest in chains and you're dumping it into the ocean and it's falling to the bottom and you can't open that again unless you decide you want to. Oh, I like that. Um, But otherwise, like it is locked up because... Oh, I guess the other thing I do is like, sometimes I just take a day to be sad. Like I get down the twins treasure chest and I look through all the things that they touched in their little hospital bracelets. And I look through the photographs and I just give myself permission to feel it all. And, and sometimes that helps me because otherwise like, you know, it, it hurts. It's painful. So you're trying to stop it and trying to avoid it. Sometimes for me, I think it's better to give yourself permission to do it on your own terms. And then it can sort of like tide you over for a little while. Oh, I agree on there on our angel bursaries. Like I always try to like, I don't want to talk to anybody that day. I just want to like, think about like, I start to get mom guilt where I'm like, I don't have any days that I focus about you. So then if like, I don't plan ahead and cut things out, then I get major mom guilt and I'm like, I missed it. And I just, I'll play on a playlist that like makes me cry. It just like feels to grieve them again, makes me feel like they're here. So like in the beginning, it was the worst thing in the world. And like now it's what I use to like feel them again and stuff. Definitely. I like, um, in grief counseling, how they told you to picture being in, in your safe spot. And then like describing the couch, it made me think of something they told me in therapy once, like when I couldn't get my mind to slow down or not keep thinking about things that weren't good and catastrophizing. Yes. And like if it happened when I was driving, I remember driving and they had just been to be like tree, light pole, bird, right. whatever. And just like name it off, going like switch it get it out of there. Like just avoid, you know, take it, like you said, lock it up in the chest, throw it in the ocean, like where you don't let it in. Yep. And it sounds silly, but I did it and it worked and stuff. So people need to hear, you know, like what you're talking about, like everything is normal. There's not a normal and stuff, but um, reading words in your articles you've written and we'll even talking with you now, humor and community and not sugarcoating it are key. And I love it. Were you always keen to those qualities and perspectives? Should everybody have that like in life? Like, here's how you get through life. Don't oh. sugarcoat. Make light of things at some point, like in the right time, humor and like community. I, yeah, I, when you said that to me, I was like, holy cow, that literally is like everything I stand for. I, I think that it can, you can go too far with using humor. Right. So I think like, like you said, when it's an appropriate time, use humor. I think that if you go through life and you don't make fun of yourself, that you're like setting yourself up for failure because we all do ridiculous things. Like we deserve to be made fun of by ourselves. And I just mean like, try your best to laugh at the situation instead of getting so angry about it. Because I don't know, like I work with nine and 10 year olds And nothing does me better than a good, like, somebody bends over and accidentally farts in class or whatever, and we all, like, belly laugh. You know, it just, that laughter is so freeing, especially when you're dealing with heavy stuff. Um, And the, like, the don't sugarcoat it part, like, I just, I hate how people use metaphors for everything in life because it makes people think that they should be... Just like, oh, well, 
you know, heaven needed another angel. Okay. Mm, no, no. Mm -mm, sorry. And like somebody, somebody once said to me, like, how can you say that? Because some people are religious and I'm like, yeah, I know very religious people. And they will say to you that humans don't become angels. Angels are angels and God doesn't need anything. Uh, because he's God, he doesn't need any angels. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, if that comforts someone for sure, use it. But like the metaphors drive me nuts because we sort of like start as kids and then you grow up not really knowing what anything means. And like, I don't know, people never even liked it when I would say like, oh, my baby's died. People don't like me to use the word died. And I'm like, well, that's what happened. (laughs) That that's what happened. And I don't, I am not a person who is like, I'm not, I'm not confrontational. I'm not brash. I just, and I don't like tell it like it is, you know, I'm not going to like insult somebody or whatever, but when it comes to talking about mental health, when it comes to talking about loss and grief, I really like, I, I urge people to use the real words. Like, like I am struggling with depression. I have anxiety. My babies died because otherwise we just think like it, it needs to be covered up with like sweet words. Right. It's like when you ask somebody like, how are you doing? And they say, good, because it's the natural response, but you're not really good. good. Not good. I know. And then community, like the second half of the title of my book like almost a mother is love loss and finding your people when your baby dies. And I, I just don't think I would be the person I am today if I hadn't met other women who had suffered from infant loss. Um, because nobody in my real life had really gone through it that was able to support me. And, uh, I felt like no one in the world understood me. And there's so much value in being and having your feelings validated. And that's what other lost moms did for me. Like I would say, okay, I was just at Target and I saw a pregnant lady. And my first thought was, I want to kick her. (laughs) Should I do something about this? You know, and they would be like, oh, girl, me too. Like I have those thoughts too. Don't worry, they'll go away. Like obviously don't act on it. But having it validated that like, even just have, even just having people there to validate me that my twins dying is a tragic thing Mm -hmm. because people try to like minimalize it. And, and I, I don't know, there's like the grief Olympics. I won't go into that, but people just really think like, you're just it really wasn't that big of a deal. So just get over it or, well, you weren't full term. So what does it matter? Or, well, I know someone who this happened to, and then they tell you some worse thing. And so finding that community that truly understands you, I just, if you can do it, I think it's like the most important thing. Right. That validation that these babies are real I've lost them it's not okay yes yes stuff because everything around you in the time looks almost the same to everybody else so you're not but it's not okay and you're not yeah and in like the grief world it's called ambiguous loss like it's a loss that that you can see and feel but other people can't and that can even that can even be like divorce or, you know, we grieve over things that aren't just people. We have grief in all areas of our life, like missing out on something or, um, like having a spouse who suffers from dementia or whatever. So ambiguous loss is, is like quite difficult. I shouldn't say extra, but quite difficult because, with typical grief, you have other people grieving with you. You're together with memories of Grandpa Joe that you can all laugh about and have like um, a bonding over. And when you are the mom of a baby who died and you're the only person that ever held them. Right. It's like 
it can be so, so isolating. Right. Because you not only that, you have in your head since the day you found out, like a life planned out. Sure. Immediately. Yes. Immediately. And nobody else was in your head. Nobody else knew. Yep. Oh. Well, this was amazing. And thank you so much for talking. I feel like we could keep going and we're already, like, we're already, well, it's about an hour because of the technical difficulties in the beginning <laughs> and stuff. But before we go, um, where can we find, I know you have a website of you, your books, read your work, because I know you, you write for Still Standing. Maggie's I don't writing. anymore. Not anymore. I don't anymore, no. But I, I have a lot of articles. articles. Yeah, there's a lot on there. And do you write middle school middle school books? Middle, middle grade books? Middle grade so, books. like, right now, I don't have any middle grade bush, books published. Um, but I have one on submission. So that means, like, I've written one and my agent has accepted it and now she's trying to sell it. So fingers crossed for that. We'll keep them crossed over here, too. So where can we find you and your work now so two 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 places online there's christywopat.com um and then i also have a facebook page called um you guys and i write about grief a lot but i also just like low-key make fun of myself all the time like i'll make you laugh for sure if you go there um and my books, like if you live by me, they're at Barnes and Noble, but they're not at every Barnes and Noble, but they're on all the online places. Okay. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, any like online bookstore, Target, you can get them. But in person, they're only at the Barnes and Noble closest to me. That's awesome that they have them there. And how I know. I love it. <laughs> Do you have any recommended resources, uh, mental health wise or... You know, you even mentioned, and I know this is just me off the bat, uh, struggling with PCOS, things that helped you, you know, before we go um, to let people know about. Yeah. Um, if you go to my website, I have a lot, like my favorite infant loss um, resources are on there. Um, I always plug an organization called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep in case you um, ever deliver a baby who is stillborn or dies, now I lay me down to sleep, we'll send a photographer for free. Mm -hmm. And they're specially trained to take pictures of um, babies who, you know, are deceased. So to make it, I don't know, like, like Sophie and Aiden were like bruised, right? Mm -hmm. So I really wish they would have come because they will put it in black and white they know how to touch it up and they're volunteer photographers so I always plug them like donate to them if you can um still standing magazine is like my favorite online resource I used to write for them all the time I just had to stop because of other other stuff um, yeah but they have a ton of articles of all different areas um including suffering uh, grief and mental illness after even terminating a pregnancy. So I know people don't like to talk about that, but if you're out there and that has happened to you, there is a resource, there are resources out there too. Um, and yeah, you know, like, I don't know. I just always plug like anxiety meds and therapy. <laughs> right. Journaling, brain dumping. Journal, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Journal, write, be honest, like just let your free thrust, um, like your mind go and write everything that comes into your mind because there's something about like getting it out of you. And this might sound hokey to you, but like I've like written stuff and then like tore it apart. And I, one time I invited people over and we lit stuff on fire, like just all the stuff we wrote just to be like, you know what, we're not going to, we're not going to let you win. That, before. that doesn't sound hokey to me at okay. all. Like there's it's been times where in my journal, like I just one word and I filled the whole page because that's what was on my head and yep. needed to get it out. Well, I highly recommend it. Like <laughs> 
get your people who you can trust, right? Like you have your people who know you and understand you come over, take 25 minutes and just angry, right? And then have a fire with some s'mores or whatever and burn it and be like, I am done with this now. It doesn't all like it's not going to officially be done, but to, right. for me, it helps so much. And you get that accountability of your community that was right there. There's that community again. Yep. Um, and you have a special quote or a favorite quote for us. We always end the podcast in a quote. Okay, so this quote is by unknown, so I don't know who to accredit it to, but. It is a life need not be long lived for it to be meaningful. And I like when I said I I offer like a grief, like an infant loss comfort kit on my website. And I have candles where like that quote is printed on the labels Mm -hmm. that like I send to lost moms. And it I don't know, like I, I just I just love it. You so so many things can be meaningful even if they're like one tiny little moment in time. Right. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for your honesty, humor, your advice, the words you put out there for other people. It means so much. I didn't have stuff, didn't know what to go to when I went through my losses. Just thank you so much for what you do. And it was amazing meeting you. And I feel like we should have you back sometime if you want, if it wasn't, if I didn't blow it and stuff. So no, you did, you did amazing. <laughs> you did amazing. Yes, absolutely. I would love to come back. Oh, well, great. And thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you for listening to That Foreign Feeling. For more information on the Butterfly Path or this podcast, visit thatforeignfeeling.com.